Hey, what's up, guys? This is Cordell. You're listening to Steeler Nation. Merry Christmas, happy holidays, and welcome to your Steeler Nation podcast, sponsored by Total Sports Enterprises. I'm your host, G Striker. So let's celebrate the gift that keeps on giving. Happy Immaculate Reception Day, guys. Today, 50 years ago, December 23rd, the Immaculate Reception happened. So today is the official day that the Immaculate Reception took place. Let's go back to the play. Fourth and 10, 22 seconds remaining at midfield. Terry Bradshaw back in the pocket, is flushed out and avoids a sack, throws the ball downfield toward Frenchie Fuqua before getting annihilated in the backfield. Jack Tatum collides with Fuqua and knocks the football 15 yards back for a shoestring catch by Franco Harris, who runs 40 yards down the left sideline for the touchdown and the lead in a 7-6 ball game to make the score 12-6. Was it a valid play? That's what they had. To, the officials actually had to figure out. And from writer William Wallace, not the uh, Scottishman William Wallace, Fred Swearingen was the referee of the day, and he had to decide if the ball indeed touched Tatum, uh, who collided with Harris's teammate Frenchie Fuqua at the Oakland 35-yard line. The rule at the time was that no two receivers can touch the ball consecutively on the same play. So no hook and ladder plays. If a uh, so it had to, the ball had to come directly from Tatum, not by caroming off of Frenchie Fuqua. So Swearingen ruled that the ball touched Tatum, which made the legal ricochet to Harris. Uh, he was summoned to the field telephone by Art McNally, who at the time was the National Football League supervisor of officials, who was in the press box. McNally had access to instant replay on television. He asked, how do you rule? Swearingen replied, touchdown. McNally said, that's right. So this is the first instance, instance of instant replay being utilized for the call of a football game. I mean, that, that game, that call was so crazy that you really couldn't tell what happened unless you saw a replay of it. So thank goodness we had cameras on the field back then. Um, <laughs> because that made the play even special, which is why we still celebrate it today. Well, the extra point made the final score 13 to seven and the Steelers went on for victory. Had to go and play, um, the Miami dolphins the following week, but still at home because back then during the seventies, the home field advantage rotated between the conferences or sorry, between the divisions. And that year it was the, uh, AFC central's turn to host playoff games. They hosted an undefeated team the next week, unfortunately lost to them on the fake punt play, and they went on to be the only undefeated team in NFL history. So the play's name, uh, and the pun is derived from the Immaculate Conception in the Catholic faith, a dogma in the Catholic Church. The phrase was first used on the air by Myron Cope, a Pittsburgh sportscaster who was reporting on Steelers' victory. Um, the Pittsburgh, uh, Sharon Lavosky is a good friend of Cope, called him up before his 11 p.m. show and told him that she was at a bar. Their friend, Michael Ord, coined the phrase at a cheers that this will now go down as the immaculate reception um, who coined that phrase. And then Cope used the term on television that night and it stuck. So the phrase was, was just apparently meant to imply 
It was a, ma- a miraculous play, kind of like a Hail Mary, also a hearkening to the Christian faith, immaculate reception, immaculate conception, another play, hearkening to the Christian faith, on being an unbelievable play, the most unbelievable play at this time in the history of the NFL. Uh, this game was also not broadcast live in Pittsburgh, which is also a little-known fact. It was one of those issues with the... Uh, with the with the way that the NFL did um, games, they said you had to be in the stadium to watch it. So if you weren't in the stadium, you had to travel out of market, which a lot of people did. There's stories of people traveling out of market to Ohio, to northern and eastern Pennsylvania to watch the game on at hotels because they were playing the game. Just the Pittsburgh uh, local market was not. So, but there was a rebroadcast the following morning at 9 a.m. on WIIC TV. It just wasn't shown live. So just some interesting tidbits that we might not have known. And that was something I just learned today, too, from the Immaculate Reception. Um, So let's celebrate the impact of this play, which has been voted the NFL's top play of all time. And for good reason, because a bunch of firsts occurred and it was just not only impactful for being a game-winning play, but impactful for a franchise that had never before won a playoff game at all. This is the first time in 40 years of the Pittsburgh Steelers' existence that they won a playoff game. And even more crazy, in that 40 years, they only made the playoffs once. 1947 against the Philadelphia Eagles. They got shut out. Lost that game 21-0. So this is their first touchdown scored in postseason history is the Immaculate Reception. That's how impactful that play was for the Pittsburgh Steelers organization to go from the lovable losers into the team, that into, into the game, and that propelled them for their first playoff victory and then they'd go on later on in the 70s to win four Super Bowls before 1980 hit. Um, I also want to celebrate Franco Harris, of course, who made the play possible. We got the untimely news. Unfortunately, he died four days before he was going to be just celebrated, his number being retired at halftime. This was a big day for Franco. Um, And Terry Bradshaw mentioned it on the morning show. Uh, the, the morning that we heard of his passing, that he was really looking forward to to this. And this was probably going to be his shining moment of his retirement. You know, the Hall of Fame is still big as well, but less people's numbers get retired in Pittsburgh than you get Hall of Famers. We got a ton of Hall of Famers in Pittsburgh. Getting your number retired in Pittsburgh, which he knew was going to happen, which he loved what was going to happen, is it, it was going to officially happen on the field at halftime of this Saturday's game, tomorrow's game. It just would have been such a, an, an incredible moment to be there and to celebrate with his family. Fortunately, he's not going to be there. It's going to be more of a memorial, um, but still very impactful. The third number retired behind, um, obviously, Mean Joe Green being the first. Uh, Eddie, Actually, Eddie Stoutner being the first, and then Mean Joe Green. And then now we're going to have uh, Franco Harris being the next retired player. Um, Franco was the first Jersey we had in our household. We were in the Williamsport 
area, northern central Pennsylvania, close to Penn State. My dad was a huge Penn State fan. So since he was a huge Penn State fan, Franco Harris became his absolute favorite Steeler. It was the first jersey that he owned. Um, I got to meet Franco Harris once. I was working a Pepsi event uh, at Sam's Club in the Pittsburgh area for the um, the 2005 season. So that was the, the season. It was the playoffs. I think it was the week before the Super Bowl because we were doing all this activation right before Super Bowl where they sell a lot of soda. Go Mountain Dew. I'm drinking one this morning. And um, so Franco was in there at the Sam's Club signing autographs. We got toward the end of the event. We were handing out free drinks. And he didn't have a line, so I went up with a football. I don't even know if I have the football up here. I do not have the football up here. Usually he used to set it up on the top, but it's probably up on the other edge. But either way, had a, a football for him, a Pittsburgh Steeler football, and a Seattle Seahawks ball cap, which my business partner at the time, Andy, his favorite team was the Seattle Seahawks. Now, he became a Seahawk fan because he loved Terry Br- or sorry, he loved Franco Harris. He was his favorite player. Harris then moved from the Steelers to the Seahawks. He became a Seahawks fan. And that's what he is to this day. Now, meeting Franco, he was there sitting signing the autographs and I handed him the football and I said um and he signed it and handed it back then I handed him the Seattle Seahawks hat. He took a look at it. Uh, and he, you know, took a look up at me and I said, you're my friend's favorite player. And I'll, he became a Seattle Seahawks fan because you moved from Pittsburgh to Seattle. So he went down, he signs his name on the hat. He hands it, Franco hands the hat back at me at me. And he looks me in the eyes and he says, it's time for your, for your friend to change back to being a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. <laughs> so rest in peace, Franco. Thank you for that great moment. Of course, we knew who you were rooting for in that Super Bowl, which was the next question I asked you. Uh, And you said, who do you think? (laughs) When he's wearing all Pittsburgh gear, signing in a Pittsburgh uh, area Sam's Club, of course we knew he was rooting for the Steelers. So rest in peace, Franco Harris. We love you. Steeler Nation loves you. Uh, Obviously, it's a big loss, and unfortunately you're not going to be there. But you will be there in spirit. And enjoy rooting for this game up there in heaven with with uh, Myron Cope and Art Rooney and Dan Rooney. I'm sure you guys will have a great time up there watching the game. Um, injury situation, guys. We got a game this week. And, of course, we are playing the Raiders, who's no longer in Oakland, no longer in Los Angeles. Now they're in Las Vegas. And we are playing the game against that team that we scored the Immaculate Reception against, Jack Tatum being that Hall of Famer from the Oakland Raiders, incredible, incredible defender. Um, so this is the matchup so far for injuries going into this game. Miles Jack is still questionable from that groin injury, but at least he practiced this week. He was limited the first two practices and practiced fully uh, yesterday. So it's looking pretty good that he's probably going to make it. Uh, Deontay Johnson also has a turf toe. He was He did not practice the first two practices, but was limited. That's a difficult injury, guys. This is a painful injury, especially for a quick twitch guy, cornerbacks, running backs, wide receivers. This is a very difficult injury to go through. And if he's doing it, he's going to be playing in a lot of pain. This is a, the same injury that sidelined Deion Sanders for, for weeks and months when he had a bad turf toe as well. Um, so we'll have to see if he can play with the pain and play through it. If he does, you guys got to recognize it and how how 
tough Deontay Johnson is because he's been playing with a hip injury these last three weeks. Uh, Edmonds also questionable with that hammy. He didn't practice all week. So I'd be more inkling toward he's probably not going to play, which means Deontay KZ might get his first start next to Fitzpatrick, which is a matchup and a starting matchup I've wanted to see all season long since we picked up KZ from free agency this past year. Um, on the Raiders side of the ball, starting cornerback or starting le- left cornerback, Rock Yassin is out. Uh, we've got a lot of questionable players now then for the rest of the team. Uh, on defense, left defensive tackle Andrew Billings with a, with a shinbone issue and s- strong side linebacker Darian Butler with a quad. Um, also on, a, on offense, their left guard and their right guards, Dylan Parnum and Alex Bars, both have knee injuries. Both were limited all this week. All these guys were limited all week. There weren't any that did not practice. So they could play. They might not play. They're all going to be game time decisions. But Rock Yassin is definitely out. Now, the weather is going to be absolutely insane, guys. 12 degrees right now is where it stands with wind chill with the wind about 20 miles per hour at game time. So wind chill factor, if you're doing the math, minus six degrees. Fahrenheit. Bundle up. Bundle up to say the least. As many layers as you can get on. Look like um, the younger brother in a Christmas story. If you're going to that game, you should be like all padded up. So you are nice and warm for that game. These are our playoff games now, guys. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be how it goes. But we're wearing the throwback block letters for this week to take us back to the days of the Immaculate Reception. I'm wearing Lambert. Unfortunately, I don't have my dad's jersey with me. I'd be wearing a Franco if that was the case. Um, And the end zones are also going to be painted to match the end zones from the Immaculate Reception. So that's going to be a neat little throwback as well. They're going to be wearing the 50th anniversary patches for the Immaculate Reception in that game as well. So it's going to be a big celebration. Steelers got to find a way to win it, especially win one for Franco and the Italian army and all of the fun that that generated and that play generated for all of Steeler nation. We're even talking, uh, as the writers, if that play doesn't happen and the Steelers don't become the, the juggernaut that they are, you know, we're probably not even working for Steeler nation. We might not have a website. We not have as vigorous as a fan base as we do. So that, that play really means a lot to Steeler nation the Pittsburgh Steelers fans all over the world, which are all over the world because of that play in the dynasty in the seventies. So kudos guys. So now these are our playoff games. Can we win it out? We'll have to see. We're going to start on Saturday and I'll be rooting hard. Uh, now it's time for questions from Steeler nation sponsored by manscaped. Get the platinum package guys going out there. It's a Steeler to manscaped.com. The platinum package has the lawnmower trimmer, the weed whacker, ear nose trimmer, ball deodorant, body wash, two-in-one shampoo and conditioner, boxer briefs, and a travel bag to keep it all together. Get it all at Manscaped. Help turn your playa into an MVP. And when I say P, yeah, you know me. You down with MVP? Yeah, you know me. Use promo code STEELERNATION, all one word, all caps. 20% off your order and free shipping. Perfect for the holidays, guys. Go down there and groom your boys for your girls at manscaped.com. 
So going over to the Pittsburgh Steeler Football Forum, it is free to join. That is where we get all of our questions. First questions coming from Blitz. Cope, which was my old nickname. I go by Striker over there now. What would you say is the most important move the Steelers need to make before the 2023 draft? Get a new offensive coordinator, resign Larry O, or get that free agent that need help for 2023. Well, can't get a free agent before then. I'm only going to talk about re-signing everything we need to do before free agency starts in 2023. And you're always going to have a wish, you're going to have a want, and you're going to have a need. Uh, Larry O, in my opinion, is a want. He's not a need. We have plenty of depth behind him, even down through the practice squad. I mean, we still have Davis on the practice squad. Uh, we have, you know, draft picks, Loudermilk and Leal, who are coming up through the system, who are looking good and looking like they can play on the edge. So what are the needs, in my opinion? Uh, strong safety is a huge need because Joseph, KZ, and Edmonds are all free agents this year. Somebody's got to come in. I, I choose KZ, but that's me. Inside linebacker, Bush and Spillane are gone next year. Or not, not gone, but free agents next year. Somebody's got to be re-signed. I'd push towards Spillane, in my opinion. Sutton is my number one need for re-signing someone in free agency. Why? Because he does too much to be replaced by one player. He plays some free safety. He, he plays, you know, back safety in dollar and dimes. He plays outside corner. He can come down in the slot. He can play everywhere in the secondary, essentially. That guy I lock up, and I give him a good contract because he is that good of a chess piece. Now, here's another pick that I want to talk about. It's not a sexy pick, but I think it's also a need. Our second tight end, Gentry's up this year. I re-signed Zach Gentry. I think he's developed phenomenally in our system. He'll be a very affordable re-sign as a backup tight end. And that is somebody I locked down for another four years. With this running game, with this running scheme, he has done very well with it. So since you want to ask me for what my wish is going to be, my wish would not be for Larry O, unfortunately. It would be for J.J. Watt to come in and play defensive line for a year or two with his brother, T.J., that is my wish. So my, I gave you a need, a want, and a wish. And that's the way free agency should be taken care of. Hopefully, well, we will have the money. So let's see if we can grab ourselves another Watt. Derek Watt also being up. We have to figure if we're going to re-sign him as well for fullback. I hope we do. Because we're finally starting to utilize him a bit more, both in the running game and the passing game. Slash Steel. Let's see. That was my question from last week on Slash, wasn't it? Yep, that was my question. For, so my last question is from Stillwright. Is Johnson, Deontay Johnson, becoming A-B light? And does Tomlin have any sort of discipline in his player's coaching title? So first of all, we'll take the first one. Uh, is Johnson becoming A-B light? I've been stating this since Johnson's rookie season. I called him A-B light at the draft because I thought he had a higher ceiling as a, uh, for his film coming in a higher floor and ceiling coming in with his film from the college ranks. That's why he got drafted in the third round as opposed to being drafted in the sixth round. Unblockable at the line of scrimmage, incredible root runner out of the box in college. And he did the exact same thing as a rookie in the NFL and was a good one and had to be our starter because we lost a B that third round draft pick that we got 
We got a third rounder and a fifth rounder when we traded him to the Raiders who were playing this weekend. The third rounder was DJ. The fifth rounder was Gentry. So really interesting that those two players are still making an impact while AB is out of the league. Really good stuff. So yes, you know, he's definitely becoming AB light. He's our go-to receiver. He's going to get the majority of our targets. He's the best root runner in the league. In the league. It's not even close. Metrics done by both ESPN and PFF show. He is always open. That's why he gets gets targets. So don't be upset. Why doesn't George get more targets? Because he's not, nobody in the league gets as many targets and should get as many targets as DJ because he's always open. That's why he gets the targets. George, you got to work on your root tree. You got to get open. Intermediate, he's not getting open. Short, he's not getting open. Deep is where he's getting open. Or at least making plays to jump over a guy and catch a ball over a guy's head. Still not technically open, but can make those plays. And that's what we need out of George. So, yes, I'm looking forward to him still coming up and, and, and pro- projecting and doing well. But, unfortunately, he didn't. He hasn't had any touchdowns this year. Crazy stat. He missed that one by a toe in the back of the end zone in week four or five uh, at the home game. But that's the last chance he's had at that play. I think he got a two-point conversion, though, this season as well. Um, second question, does Tomlin have any sort of discipline in his player's coach title? Yes. I mean, discipline is always part of any head coach. Head coach is allowed to discipline his players however he sees fit. Now, if you're worried about the disciplining for um, Deontay Johnson on the field, I saw him talk immediately to Deontay Johnson when he pulled him off the field for that personal foul after he made that incredible play where he went through three defenders who were all between four yards between him and a first down. And there were three defenders within that fourth, four yards. He made all three defenders miss by dancing around and got us a first down that I don't think any other player that I've seen on this team could have gotten us a first down on. I know a lot of people don't like it when he does that dancing, but that was our only chance he had at it. Yeah. He got super excited that he got the first down and got a taunting penalty because of it. It was a teaching moment for Tomlin. Tomlin was in his ear immediately after that play and looking both for Tom, for, uh, for Deontay Johnson and later on in the game for Marcus Allen, what I look at striker, these guys, Tom has got to come down hard on those guys. Tom has got to do. Yeah, yes. He, he does have to talk to those guys, but when I look at these instances happening, are they a single instance or are they a trend? Is it something that keeps happening? I don't see a trend. With Deontay Johnson. I don't see a trend with Marcus Allen. This was a heated game that the Steelers wanted to win. And they were playing hot. Hopefully they've learned moving forward for the next three games. Because that's what we need to learn from. I don't expect either of those players to have an issue the rest of this year. But it happens. The heat of the moment. You can get caught up in it. Make a big play. Do something dumb. I understand that. Still a teaching moment. But Antonio Brown. We kept getting... Ticks and ticks and ticks and ticks off the box the entire time he was here. Throw, throwing a Gatorade cooler across the field. Um, getting speeding tickets. Throwing furniture off the balcony in, in Florida. These are all stuff that adds up. So when you ask me if AB does something, yeah, it's a trend. So the coach could suspend you, could suspend you for practice um, or demote you. They, these are all within the realm of the coaches to be able to handle disciplinary however they want to and a lot of the times the Steelers discipline their players before the league does 
So they might hold a player out for a game before the league even throws anything up. We've taken care of it. It's done. Then the league doesn't have to worry about it as much. So that's usually what happens in the Steelers organization. So are you going to the Raiders game this week, Steeler Nation? If you are, be sure to go to the terrible tailgate. It's at lot 5A, Caddy Corner from PNC Park, the closest corner to Acresher Stadium. Tailgate is 50, or sorry, $40, three o'clock, show up, got a buffet. We got tons to drink, tons of sponsored seltzers, beer, uh, mixed drinks. It is a fun time. Music, and of course, there's going to be some kind of jersey giveaway or item giveaway or sign giveaway because of our great sponsors at Total Sports Enterprises. Need a last-minute gift? Go to Total, Total Sports Enterprises' webpage, tseshop.com. Find something great for your friends and family. Or always follow them on Twitter at Total Sports ENT. They're always giving away free stuff, especially during games. Sign up, follow them, answer their stuff during the game. You might find yourself the winner of a helmet or a jersey or a shirt. They do it all. Total Sports Enterprises, thank you so much for your sponsorship. Um, you want to be, check out the VidCast. Going to be next Tuesday at 7 p.m. live. So subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Steeler Nation to watch our show live. And we will be over there taking your questions live from YouTube, from Instagram, and from Facebook. Make sure to follow Steeler Nation. Tweet us at Steeler Nation. Instagram us at SteelerNation.com. Follow the Steeler Nation podcast on Twitter at underscore SN podcast. And follow your host, Steeler Nation Striker, on Twitter. On Instagram. Oh my gosh, I still have that up for a while. <laughs> on Tickety Talk. That is all the time we have on the Immaculate Podcast, sponsored by Total Sports Enterprises. I'm your host, G Striker, rooting along with you guys as always. Go Steelers! <laughs>